0: time here is this week's sports illustrated tennis podcast it is the morning of day four of the 2020 u.s open we have two guests jamie and i talk a little bit of u.s open we talk about some of the storylines what we've seen so far hopefully uh we won't be too outdated by the time you listen to this we try to keep it broad and then kevin anderson comes on and uh talks for for a long while about his experience at the U S open and also about ATP tour politics. He's now the, uh, the head of the players council after the tumult of last weekend. So we talk about Novak Djokovic and the PTPA, the state of tennis, what it's like to be involved as a player and also as somebody who's involved in the, in the politics and on the, on the representation side. So Kevin Anderson, uh, who lost in the first round gamely to Sasha Zverev, retreated to North Carolina and then spent, uh, this conversation is almost an hour and uh good, good tennis talk with one of the good guys and some real insight to some of the balance of interests and some of the challenges that the PTPA faces and what it's like to balance a tennis career with a career trying to make the uh, sport better. So some 2020 US Open talk, some deep inside tennis politics talk with Kevin Anderson, one of the sports good guys. Let's uh, do tennis talk first and I'll invite into my Zoom, Jamie. Jamie, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I feel like we always need to timestamp these things, and we will probably talk generally in hopes we don't get too overtaken by news, but it is the morning of day four, and I'll start by asking you, does this seem like a sporting event to you, or are we still in a dystopian cruise ship, unprecedented, what a crazy COVID bubble world? Is Is this sports or is this curiosity?
2: I think it depends on the camera angle. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'm watching matches and I feel like this is, you know, any old U.S. Open. And then, of course, if you see the camera pan out or zoom out into that, that view where you see the stands or you see anything that <laughs> shows us that we are not in normal times, um, you know, you kind of get a, a reminder. But uh, so far, I feel i um, excited. It feels great to be watching, you know, some U.S. Open tennis, and it's, uh, it's, it's going good.
0: You know who must really love this event, I'm thinking, are the coaches, because I, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are these tight shots on the courts where we're supposed to forget that there are not 25,000 people in the stands. There are 11. But when they, uh, when they leave the court, inevitably, they go either either to the suites where players are sitting, sometimes topless, sometimes with their back to the courts or they go to the coaches. So I've, I've never seen so much Gorani Benicevic, uh in my life. Uh, <laughs> right. We have, uh, that the top seed has lost one set on the men's side. The top seed on the women's side has uh, lost two sets and those came in the same match. So uh, Karolina Pliskova has been bounced. Um, Storylines, upsets, what, uh, what, what has struck you through three days of tennis?
2: Yeah, so like you said, Plushka was out. I think, you know, obviously Djokovic yesterday, he said, you know, it was a good test against Edmund. He lost, uh, you know, that first set there and, and needed four to get through. But, um, you know, Naomi Osaka, I thought, um, you know, obviously yesterday she had a quick match over Camilla Georgie, but, um, you know, she had that hamstring, that leg taped up. And I know she played a lot of tennis heading into the U.S. Open. So, you know, this is not usually we're, we're worried about injuries that have been building since the beginning of the year, you know, and this is a different case. Um, so I'll be interested to see how Osaka gets through. Um, you know, she seems really focused and I know she mentioned her, her attitude after the match yesterday. So she's looking really strong and she has a, a good draw ahead of her. What else? I, I think there's been a, quite a few upsets on, on the women's side of just seeded players. So, um, you know, we see that often at, at the US Open, but it's something to mention for sure.
0: There's a, a 23-time Grand Slam champion I, that we haven't talked about yet. I think you're right about Osaka, that uh, we, we are witnessing her ascent. She is number one with the oddsmakers. She, she had, it's funny, she had a rap yesterday that I'm not sure she had for her first round match. And yet yesterday's match, she was barely on court for an hour and, and looked great. Right. And I think you, you're right, too. She does not have to play Coco Golf, which she's had to do with the two previous majors. One of them, uh, she won and one of them she lost in Australia. She does not have the number one seed in the draw anymore. And I think things are uh, shaping up awfully nicely for a player who's really uh, announced herself in a lot of ways. We don't have much of a sample size on uh, on Serena Williams. I, I don't know if you caught much of that Pliskova match. I mean, losing to, to Carolyn Garcia is not a... a huge upset but you are the number one player in the world at least the number one seed you're not the number one player in the world you're the number one seed though and you've reached this uh events final before you've got to come with a better effort than that i thought that was one of the uh there haven't been a lot of real disappointments of stinging disappointments and uh that one i would i would qualify uh caroline plushka was, as the number one seed in the event needs to represent uh herself a little uh with a little, little more force than she did yesterday. Um, what, what about um, – let, let, let's go to the men's side. Mean, I think the conventional thinking on the men's side is that it's, it's Novak Djokovic against the field, which certainly seems reasonable given uh, his play this year. As we record this, he's won 25 straight matches. Uh, Federer Nadal obviously are, are not here. He did lose a set to Kyle Edmund, but quickly turned that around and then r- ran out the last three. Do you, do you see anyone beating, beating Novak?
2: No, I mean, I, I, I hear you on that. I mean, we see um, Zarev and, and Sitsipas and, um, you know, all these young players who are trying to get over that hump, you know, who have shown us that they've done really well and then haven't really shown us during majors that they can, they can do it during that five setters. So um, I I agree with you. I think there are a lot of contenders, of course, that we can we can talk about, but it's looking pretty smooth for for Djokovic. And I think um, you know, even though he he needed four sets yesterday, I feel like sometimes for him that little moment where he has to work or he has to correct mistakes is is kind of like what he needs in in the first couple of rounds. So. Um, none there for me. I wanted to ask you about about Coco Goff, because, of course, you know she was someone we talked about heading into this, and uh, you know she was out after after day one. Um, what are your What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think every Coco Golf uh,
0: remarks begins with, "She's only 16,"
2: mm-hmm.
0: so she she has lost three matches in a row now. I, I don't think this was you know she lost to a seated player to a crafty. Uh, Crafty Seed and and Savastava who's been to the semifinals here, I don't think that's a bad loss by any stretch. Coco had a nice fight back to push that into three sets. Um, But this isn't the result that she wanted. Um, The the good news is she's only 16. The good news is that we're sort of moving past age eligibility, and those are going to uh, become a bit more lax. She can move on to the clay. I mean, I don't think there's there's anything close to a crisis. But, yeah, I think – this was a disappointment. And I think that we're all trying to figure out sort of how to I don't just mean cover this as media, but sort of how to how to process Coco Goff. I mean, you, you heard Lindsay a few days ago call call her one of the one of the real contenders and she was disappointed to see her play Osaka because those were two of the players who could have, you know, done some real damage here at this event. I think Coco Goff's talent is, is undeniable. She's already had big wins, she's already shown she can play on the big stage. I mean at some level she's a victim of her own success. I don't feel quite right, uh, you know, sort of p- picking apart the, uh, the the nuances of a sixteen-year-old's game. But I also think, you know, she is. We, we are allowed to sort of look at this objectively, and and she's only sixteen, but she's she's lost three matches in a row now, which um, is I, w- I would say suboptimal. And I think it'll be interesting to see how she makes this adjustment. She's the the good news is we're we're moving on to the clay, and in less than a month's time, she'll be. In the main draw of, of another major, so we'll we'll see how this progression goes. Again, I, I don't think it's a crisis. I don't think this was a bad loss, but I also didn't expect necessarily to be talking about uh, Coco Goff in the in the past tense at the 2020 U.S. Open by, you know, by dinner time on uh, on day one.
2: Definitely, yeah, and it's uh, also good to to see Andy Murray out there. You know, he he plays uh, FAA. Um, today i know we're we're time stamping and, but uh,
0: t- tonight because he he very much requested as much time to uh to recover as possible as he is uh, entitled to do i know that the the Brits are not happy but uh it, it's you know it's gonna be four in the morning in the u k but uh <laughs> anywhere you're right is still uh is still alive did you catch any of that any of that five setter
2: yeah yeah i mean he to you know it was classic Murray, you know, digging deep and just coming back and, and getting that win. So it's it's really nice to see that. Um, you know, I don't know how much he has in him to get through, but oh, what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think th- this is a guy, it's like, it's like 16-year-old Coco Goff. I think we need to, uh, we need to yeah. prep this by saying Andy Murray sets off, you know, metal detectors at airports, with with the contents of his hip Mm -hmm. so um it's remarkable that he was able to play a a match like that and and win you know when he played that match in australia that we all thought was his final match 18 months ago at the 2019 australian open when we had that sort of strange uh those were
2: weird times for then
0: huh was uh oh the days when uh we we (laughs) laughed at people with masks yeah, at the 2019 Australian Open, he played that match. Everybody thought it was his last match. And he essentially said, you know, I'm glad I didn't win because I would have had to pull out of my necks. I mean, I'm, just, I'm done. Mm-hmm. My body can't take this. He didn't say that after winning uh, a 5 center the other day. And I don't know. I mean, he's, he's going to play a much different type of opponent. It's going to be a much different kind of match. I think one thing we should talk about, Jamie, again, so far, four days in, is the weather which uh, has, has not really been much of a factor. I think a lot of us thought we would see more retirements and more withdrawals and more trainer calls. The conditions have been very mild and I think that's really helping players who, uh, not, not just you know, not, not just 33 year olds with, uh, with, with artificial hips but with, um, you know, with rods in their hips, but this is also helping players that haven't had this kind of match preparation and this sort of match play coming in um, so I, th- I think that's been a real factor. You know, I, I walked out today, I, th- I think it was, you know, 67 degrees this morning. So um, I, th- it does I think get,
2: that's a It does get pretty humid, but, but you're right to say that this is not the typical, you know, late August, early September heat wave that we usually um, usually have at this time of the year at this tournament. So we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, soaked through shirts. But beyond mm-hmm. that, the the sun and the heat haven't really been much of a factor.
0: Um, I, I think Murray has, uh, you know, you're never quite sure about the emotions. And I think this is one of these matches, Jamie, where we're really going to notice. And I, I guess it could cut both ways. I mean, we haven't really decided on whether this is a help or a hindrance. But I think the absence of a crowd is really going to be pretty stark. I mean, Andy Murray is a well-liked player. He's a former champion at this event. He's playing against, you know, a, a young kid who grew up a few hours away from here. I mean, this is one of these matches that ordinarily be a great, night session match can can the old guard keep you know keep his turf or is this time for uh, regime change i mean this sort of has all the storylines and all the figures for for a rocking night match at the us open i think we're going to feel the uh, the absence of fans tonight jamie
2: definitely i um you know it's weird to actually hear some of these players um you know uh, yell at themselves or uh which we normally wouldn't um as much over crowds especially um, in some of those those daytime matches or on outer courts, but you hear everything, um, you know now, and it's uh, I, I feel you. I think you can you can tell the matches that would have really um, you know benefited, frankly, from a, a crowd there. And I, I agree with you. I think that Murray F A A match is going to be one of them.
0: Let Let me ask you, Jamie, how much non tennis talk is pockets- seeped into your uh, silo? I mean, it's, it's, it's always hard to tell. We talk about this a lot about, sort of you're in this, you're in your social media lane, you're in your social media silo. And, you know, in, in my case, um, you know, pe- people are texting and people are chatting a tennis channel. How much has the, has the non-tennis talk, um, I guess sort of specifically this Benoit pair incident, but how much has non-tennis talk from the way you're processing this event been, been a part of the experience?
2: Yeah, I think I um, you know, when you're listening to matches with the commentators or just even the the shots that, you know, the on the broadcast that are, are coming through, you know, obviously we're not there, so it's it's a different experience as a media member. But um I think the conversation just always defaults to whether it's coronavirus or protocols or um just even the the views, like you said, of you know, shirtless Dominic team just hanging out in his suite while you know someone's playing a match. I mean, those things are not things that we're used to, and I think for me as well, seeing the grounds um, completely empty with you know miniature golf courses there, it's uh, it's just really um, hard not to talk about those things because it is so different. So I feel like a lot of people are are, are talking about that, but yes, um, of course, the the biggest thing is is the coronavirus and the protocols and the safety, and so. Um, the name benoit paire of course uh has come up many times and uh i wanted to ask you about it what uh give us the the scoop or the the insider info um you know i i know that there was a group of um i don't know 10 or 11 players um that were in contact with him so uh have you heard anything since uh that sort of developed uh what was it now probably 2 days ago um yeah, I mean, I I I need
0: to be uh, I need to choose my words judiciously because I am uh, you know I'm I'm home and this is the kind of thing you would report out if you were if you were on the ground so a lot of this is uh, <clears throat> a lot of this is secondhand and some of this is off the record I, mean, I think a few things are clear one of them is that they're they're two player hotels and one of them is I, I said it's like the the middle school trip on the field trip to D.C. they're they're chaperones it is very strict it is. I, if not a perfect bubble, I think it's pretty well sealed. There is a second hotel where that is not the case, and there are other guests at the hotel, and I don't know if this was an, an overflow situation, I don't know if the USDA wasn't able to completely commandeer two different hotels, but apparently the second hotel is less secure, and that's where uh, some of the problem uh, has arisen. Benoit Paire had a match at the, the Not Cincinnati event. Uh, I, th- I think it was 6.010, and he retired, and immediately there was speculation that that he did not look right. Much as, as Grigor Dimitrov didn't look right during the Adria tour, and if you, I mean, even on social media, there was speculation that something uh, was was not quite right. And it seems as though a, a number of players, most of them French, engaged with Benoit Paire. Subsequent to that, um, that's a choice. I I think um, you know we in retrospect we could ask ourselves whether that was a, a wise personal choice I think some of the controversy and then Benoit Paire apparently had a number of negative tests and then he did eventually have a positive test so Benoit Paire not only was he then expelled from the draw but then there was this question of what do we do with with the contract tracing like you say Jamie of these other players male and female most of them French obviously Christina Bladenovic was was one of them mm-hmm. um, we had had this situation with other players with two South South American players who had a similar situation and they were not allowed to play in the, in the not Cincinnati event. And it seemed as though to to everyone, it seemed as though the USTA really was inconsistent with their protocol and with the the stated I we, we had posted the, the FAQ Jamie on our site. And what happened after Benoit Paris seemed in violation of that, but they created this sort of bubble within a bubble. And uh, someone sent me the, the rules. I mean, there were all sorts of things where you, If you were on site, you couldn't leave your suite to watch other players play and meals were delivered and you're you're responsible for your own dry cleaning. I mean, it was really pretty strict, but the players that had been in contact who, you know, under in a vacuum probably should have not have been allowed to play, but 11 is a big number. So I I don't know uh, if if that was part of the thinking or not, but this... um, you know this. This adjustment, this workaround, was made, and they created this bubble within a bubble. And we saw Christina Modenovich lost on Wednesday and, and was very critical. Um, I, I think she used the word uh, abomination to describe her situation. She uh, ha- had lost a match, you know, up match points, and then lost six love in the third set, and was just clearly fried. Um, it's unfortunate. We knew this was going to happen. I have some sympathy for these players. But at the same time, uh, you know, we people make choices and choices have consequences. So I, it seems, I mean, I think w- there will be more reporting here. Um, Benoit Paire has, has left, as I understand, but um, the, the French Open is coming. And I suspect uh, we have not heard the end of the story. But I, I think the bottom line is there was clearly one hotel was less secure than the other. And I do think, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it. It's a fluid situation. There's no sort of... Uh, Best practices here. We're all kind of making decisions as we go, but I, I do think there is this lingering of question of why did the USTA appear to act so inconsistently? Um, if you compare the case of uh, the South American players uh, Delian and, and Pella to um, to what had happened with the French players, so that's sort of been the the off-court drama. Um, I you know, and I, I don't say this critically. I mean, I think ESPN has has really chosen to focus on the tennis. There's not a lot about testing and protocol and I don't know if fans want to hear that anyway but certainly in the in the deep inside tennis world there's a lot of chatter about these French players and how this was handled and what the consequences will be and some of these players you know Manorino is is one of the players who was apparently at one of the card games with Benoit Perry he's still in the tournament playing great so um you know this bubble within a bubble Doc Wood seems to be working but there's Deep inside tennis, there's an awful lot of chatter about this. But if that has not um, impacted the viewing experience, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, you know, I think this is always, this is always uh, at every major. This is sort of a, a decision that um, that networks and journalist entities make. And how how much of the Twitter chatter do we incorporate into our broadcast, and how much do we want to make this about backhands and forehands? So I, I don't say this critically, but but certainly in in my world, there's been a lot of um, a lot of talk about um this the situation at hotel number two we're calling it right How, how's, that, how's that for a succinct uh how's that, <laughs> how's that for a succinct explanation no
2: that's great and i i hear you i i think the same thing there's always um you know the twitter conversation and then what is happening on on the broadcast as you say um what i what i thought was interesting about it you know is that it's it's very similar to um a lot of the situations that people like you and I are are being put in with with the coronavirus and everything. You really have to make your own choice as a person and, you know, in this case as a player as to whether or not, um, you know, you should go to that friend's house to, you know, play a game of cards or, you know, have dinner or have a cup of coffee um, and, you know, what are the conditions and are you wearing a mask or are you not wearing a mask? And um, even, you know, in that case, there still could be, a way of, of, you know, getting the coronavirus. And, and, and it's a, it's a very similar situation. It's just different because these players of course are supposed to be in this bubble and they, they haven't played for a while. So for me, it's surprising that some players would, would take a chance to do something, you know, in given, given the situation they're in. But um, as you said, it's a ongoing story that we're going to have to continue to, you know, figure out and report on these details.
0: Right, and I think uh, yeah, we, we will segue to our next guest, but I, I think one thing we're also seeing is that different players are really having different experiences. E- even though it's at some level, this is as, as uh, you know, th- this is as, as perfect as experiment as you could set up, with the exception of a few players in the private homes. Everyone is in the same boat, and yet, it's funny. I've spoken to some players who say it's really not so different from a, a normal tournament. I don't know. I go to the hotel. I get room service. I don't go much out much anyway. And other players are saying this is this hellscape. And uh, I, if I knew this, I never would have played. And it's it's a horrible cruise ship. And Ke- Kevin Anderson, who will join us next, um, is is certainly in one boat. But it's interesting to me. And I think you're right, Jamie. I think at some level, this is very much analogous to the rest of us. You know, we, I, I see people wear a face shield to dinner, and yet they handle the menu that everyone before them has handled. We're, we're all making decisions. Nobody is 100% consistent, but, um, you know, but, but actions have consequences. And um, I, I think, again, I, if, this is, if this is the, the worst controversy of, of this tournament, then it will have been uh, a success. But I, I suspect more details will emerge, and we haven't heard the last of this.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. And, and the hope, too, is that, you know, the, the spread sort of just stopped there. You know, as you say, there's players that were um, with him that are still in the tournament. So, you know, hopefully everything's under control. But we uh, we wake up for another day of tennis today. So we'll see what happens.
0: There you go. Um, great. So we'll see how much of this will hold up. We'll see if Djokovic and Andy Murray and Osaka are still in the draw if we do this again in uh, a week. But why don't, we, uh, why, don't, why don't we do one of these uh, for week two?
2: Sounds good to me.
0: All right. Thanks, as always, to uh, Jamie. Always a pleasure talking shop. We'll do another one of these uh, in the middle of the second week. And now uh, let's turn this over to someone who was in the first week and uh, played quite well. Before uh, falling to Sasha Zverev, no shame in that. Here is Kevin Anderson, a former finalist at the U.S. Open. He is 34 years old, uh, one of the the real stalwarts of the sport. He is also now the head of the Players' Council after uh, some of the events of the past weekend. So here's uh, Kevin Anderson and some inside tennis politics.
1: takes time.
0: uh thanks kevin thanks for doing this how, how are you where are you
1: yeah thanks for having me on john so we're um unfortunately left new york earlier than i would have liked to had a pretty tough match obviously with zverev and uh we uh we headed out of new york out of the out of the bubble um we're actually in uh north carolina just a, a few days off and then Obviously we've got Rome coming up pretty soon. There's a few logistical things we need to sort out in terms of testing and what we need to do to get there. But, uh, it's a pretty quick turnaround. So, um, only, only a couple of days here and then having to make a pretty sw- a pretty quick switch uh, from the hard courts to the clay courts.
0: Crazy year. Um, I, I bet you never thought you would have to deal with logistics in September to get to go play clay court tennis in Rome, but, uh,
1: no, that, I don't think anybody saw that coming. But you know what? I feel that given everything, I think we're um, in a good position that we're able to have tennis back back on, back on, in the world. I mean, it's. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of adapting for many players and not just players, obviously, tournaments, um, so many people involved in our sport. But i think um I think it's a good thing that uh we've been able to resume
0: let's uh let us talk about you specifically and then we can go go broader uh you've been sure uh s- some s- six months and some surgery and i I suspect you you know you would rather win than lose, but I suspect uh it was reassuring to know you could play four sets with a a, a top player and be right in there the way you were in the in the first round of severus.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a really interesting, actually, you know, much longer, six months just for me. And from a from a professional standpoint, twenty nineteen was a very difficult year with injuries. I only ended up playing, I think, five tournaments, of which only a couple was I actually really one hundred percent healthy for. And then I I felt I sort of turned the corner and uh, starting this year out with ATP Cup and then Australian Open and then New York and then unfortunately, having to go through another surgery. And after the surgery, when I was recovering, that's when I obviously things started picking up with the whole COVID crisis. And that's when the tour was suspended. So it gave me a little bit more time to recover. And then obviously, um, you know, it's quite a few months off. So starting off again, it's it's not just been sort of six months for me. I feel it's been quite a long period of time now where uh, I haven't really had that sort of consistency of competing and playing. So it's 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 one step at a time. I mean, as you sort of mentioned, I felt I could take a lot of positives from my Masters Verov. Obviously, it's very difficult to lose first round and sort of leave the tournament so soon. But I think what I've always tried to focus on my career is what can I take from it? Um, fortunately, there's more opportunities coming up. So as long as I can keep learning and keep building, I feel like that gives me the best opportunity to reach the goals that I've set for myself and uh you know that's ultimately what I'm looking for
0: T- tell me about the non tennis part of playing this event i've heard everything from it's not so bad it seems like a pretty normal event to it's terrible i feel like i'm on the tennis cruise ship how was the uh the <laughs> non playing experience for you here
1: yeah i mean i think Right off the bat, it's important to preference that with um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, if you looked at that, we're playing tennis and we're able to compete and play, you know, the Western Southern Open and now the US Open and US Open, just from a player's perspective, what they've been able to put up in terms of prize money and people earning jobs. I mean, you know, from from my standpoint, I think we were very, um, we were sort of very lucky given everything that's going on in in the world today. So... With that on sort of having said that, um, obviously it was quite different. I think the biggest changes is just when you think of US Open, you think of the energy of the crowd, you think of Manhattan. I mean, those are you know, when people ask me to describe the tournament, I've always sort of, you know, thought of that, those those intense night matches and you know, without a doubt, being there with no fans and everything is is very different. But, you know, I I'd definitely be amiss not to point out I feel like um the USTA, together with obviously working with ATP and WTA, I think overall, um, in my opinion, did a, did a very good job. Obviously, it wasn't perfect. There was definitely some hiccups along the way. Um, but you know, I, I think if you sort of had the right mindset, um, it, from my standpoint, it, uh, it wasn't, I think it was, it sort of exceeded my expectations. I mean, you had to be very businesslike, time sort of at the court, you couldn't socialize with other players. Right. Um so as I said I mean there was definitely adjustments but I think overall um it was a uh, it it was it was a job well done obviously US Open just starting so you know I can only talk from the time I was in New York um but I uh, you know I hope sort of players also sort of understood the uh what it took to get that event on given the severity of um the whole covid crisis.
0: How are you feeling going to what seems to be a non-bubble situation in europe, I and mean, it's 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 funny. I heard a few weeks ago it seemed like there were some complaints that these u s open uh, protocols were too restrictive, and now it seems like some players I've spoken to are sort of saying wait a second, this is working pretty well. How's it going to work when it's not a bubble what 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 are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that's challenging and it's tough you know for uh, for players to sort of see is just how quickly things are changing. I mean, you know, even if you're looking at, not from a tennis standpoint, just from, you know, public messaging from the CDC of recommendations keep changing. And now it's an ever changing scenario out in Europe as well. We just saw the fact sheet for Rome and, you know, it's, it still seems like it's going to be pretty restrictive. I mean, I think they, everybody sees the importance of keeping players healthy and making sure not just players, again, everybody involved in the tournament. I, I, Players only allowed um, two people max with credentials. Uh, we having to get tested before we can go inside, testing every four days. Um, so I think a lot of it, it seems like, will be similar to what we experienced in New York. Um, you know, from my standpoint, I feel like it's important to understand that a lot of this falls under public health, uh, you know, departments. Like obviously, in New York, it's the New York Department of Health, they're the ones making these decisions. I felt that I would rather be in a situation where they are being extra cautious than not cautious enough. I know some players were a little bit uncertain on uh, if the measures were too strict. I I, I must say I, I didn't share that opinion. I felt you know being bringing the sport back uh, very safely, keeping everybody healthy, was of utmost importance. Um, and I think that's the mindset that we must take forward. But it will be interesting to see what happens in Europe. Uh, It's obviously different jurisdictions, different measures, but I mean, ATP have a pretty detailed sort of return to competition document that the tournaments will be following. So at least for these ATP tournaments coming up in the next few weeks, I think it'll be pretty consistent and it'll be interesting to see just, you know, French Open under different governance with the FFT. Um, I, I, I think there's still some details being sorted out. And uh, we'll have to sort of wait and see how that works out. But one thing I know is players are going to have to be pretty flexible and adaptable because, as I said, it's an ever-changing environment.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, let's let's talk um, let's let's split split steps, shall we? Let's. Uh,
1: sure. Let's, let's good. talk
0: some ATP politics because we, we I think a lot of people are, are okay. clarity. <laughs> that's we, always a,
1: That's, that's yeah, yeah. It's always an interesting topic to go into
0: it's um it's it's very easy to issue a press release and uh put up a social media post but de- details and uh b- bones uh, you know it, they have been sometimes uh in short supply i mean first off what why sort of, why don't you explain what what your role is vis-a-vis the tour right now after uh this weekend what what's your position what's your role
1: here yeah so i mean i've been on the player council now for a number of years actually it's been eight years and because uh the tour was suspended and our elections were supposed to be redone in Wimbledon we decided that uh, it was important for the current council who sort of had a good uh, understanding of what was going on to extend it from six months so I could be wrong but I think I'm one of the longer (laughs) serving players on this council so there's I've spent a lot of time in meetings outside the council and you know basically just for um you know anybody listening the the council, there's 10 players who, who represent all the players we, we're voted in. Um, the players are made up of different representing groups. I represent players ranked 1 through 50. Um, we've got other players who represent doubles players, um, singles players from 50 to 100, and then at large. And there's different uh, areas around the world. So we try to get a very um, diverse group of players to represent players. Um, I've been the vice president for the last four years now, and um, after this weekend, uh, for the remainder of my term, I'll be serving as president of the council. Um, so we are sort of, our job, I mean, is to try and help players, and uh, that's what we want. We're sort of, it's it's a go-between between representing the players and sort of more of the um, uh, management and governance behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, we meet several times a year. We have, you know, group discussions. And it's, it's really been great to see that. I think, you know, as time goes on, I think you've seen a council that's been very involved. There's been some pros and cons with that. But I think overall having players uh, interested and in working together is always um, a positive thing in the long run. Your,
0: your council is uh, going to undergo a bit of a roster change. Uh, obviously- it has, Resignations. Um, I t- take this wherever you want, but I mean, just sort of broadly. What what do you make of the last seventy two hours? I mean, your we should be clear. Your your name was on the letter that R- Roger and Rafa had also signed, that um, seemed to I-, I don't know oppose, but view skeptically this PTPA. Um, just sort of sort of start riffing, and we can we can dig deeper. I mean, what what do you make of what's transpired over the last three four days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll try give a. I feel like I don't want to talk for 30 minutes straight. So maybe I'll give some uh, areas. And then if you feel like I can expand, that would be great to sort of um, give me a little bit more direction. So yeah, it's been a very interesting last, I think it's even been a little bit more than 72 hours. It's uh, um, almost a week now. Um, So, you know, for for quite a while, there's been talk on players trying to, you know form some sort of uh, either association or union and uh, that's a very tricky and a tricky road to go down, especially when you look at the way that the ATP is structured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know basically the ATP is has a has a share between the players and the tournaments and you know I think if you look at any sport, whether it's let's take a lot of the um US sports where you've got the, the players and then the ownership, there's a there's the, there's the synergy, but obviously a lot of times the topics and what's being discussed, the different parties have different interests. I mean, I think that's you know, natural to, to, uh, to look at. Obviously, as an example, a big one is prize money. Players want as much prize money as possible. And in tournaments, I mean, these are businesses as well. Uh, I mean, obviously they see the value, in what the players bring, but there's always going to be, I don't think they sitting on their side saying, let's see how much of our revenues can be spent on players. So there is that balance. And I think from that, there's many issues. It's not just prize money, there's scheduling, there's commitments, there's, there's, you know, there's quite a few topics we can talk of. Um, and I think sort of what's transpired is, you know, a few players and we can, you know, talk about that in a little bit more detail have, thought that maybe a better option to get what they feel players deserve is to sort of break away from the current structure of the ATP. And that's where you've seen this um, new player association being formed led by obviously Djokovic and Pospisil. And um, that's sort of going out of what the current ATP structure is. And I'm, you know, as you, as you mentioned, um, I, I chatted a lot with um, the remaining council members. We don't feel that's the best path to go down. And there's a few reasons why. Um, you know, one of the big reasons is starting this year, we have had new management come in. Um, we've got um, a new chairman and CEO. The role's been broken up before we had one person serving both those positions. And in Australia this year, they put forth a very bold and exciting plan that the council was definitely on board on. And obviously there's a difference between presenting a plan and being able to execute and actually make it happen. But people need time and that's not something that's going to happen overnight. This is a plan that um, involves bringing uh, all the different entities of sport together in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure some people saw the letter, Uh, that was written by our chairman, Andrea Gaudenzi, and what he's uh, proposing. Um, There's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot in there, not just between the way that sort of collecting um, TB rights and things like that, but also within the management itself. So what's been interesting is just that the vision itself is one that all the players agree to and feel like let's, give management the uh, the time to do that. I think also what's important to notice is even the council the whole time um, in the past, I mean, it's not always been smooth sailing, but I think it would, I'd feel amiss not to sort of acknowledge and recognize the improvements. Um, when I say improvements, the, the value that players have really pushed tournaments to see on. I think everybody can agree that, you know, especially prior to 2012, the the split between tournaments and players wasn't wasn't fair it wasn't equal and you've seen since 2012 I mean you know in a lot of the metrics 100% increases in uh, prize money to players Uh, I mean our pension has improved dramatically there's still a lot of things that we aren't happy with and we continue to push management a lot for this but we felt that we need to give time and really allow management to sort of work through this. So that's where it's been a little bit tough from our side when we did see this formation of the new Players Association, um, where it's, I feel like, potentially splitting the players. And I think in a time like this, especially with the COVID crisis, having unity and players working together is of utmost importance. Um, And uh, just having this association that's sort of doesn't necessarily have defined roles of how it can fit into the ATP structure um, makes me a little bit concerned and that's you know one of the reasons I was um, not for it right now and that within the fact that with the new management and even within our current structure I feel like there is room for those improvements um, to happen and I understand everybody sees it a little bit differently but I know this is a, <laughs> a lengthy answer but I uh, sort of I hope I'm Managing to sort of portray some of the um, some of the thoughts that where both the council and the new management are looking, and some of the concerns that they have.
0: I uh, no, I think I think that's a great lay of the land, and um, I mean, I a a lot to you know a a lot to pick apart. I wonder how how do you perceive this group though? I mean, I think there's sort of this fundamental question of what is it, and it seems to me the range is anything from the splinter group that's going to leave the ATP and try and have a breakaway union and negotiate separately and establish employer-employee relationships. I mean, that's one end. The other end is it's it's a WhatsApp chat group with uh, membership dues. I mean, do you strategically, do you perceive this as a splinter group within the ATP? Do you think this is an existential threat to the ATP? Do you think these are guys that are going to be breaking off or are these simply ATP members that, want to have a, a method of having their voice amplified apart from the current structure in the council? Yeah, how,
1: how I mean, the opponent. yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question. It's been, obviously it's very new and, uh, I think it will take us some time to really sort of see what's going on. You know, to be honest with me being on the council and as, as I sort of prefaced before, I am, I'm, I'll be the first to say it, it can be challenging, but I feel like we've, we've made a lot of progress and, sort of just to reiterate, I feel like moving forward with the new management, it's, it's you know, that part's really important. So I've not really been, and I think, you know, let's, if we, if we say that, you know, Djokovic and Pospisil are the ones who have, who have led this, um, they, they, they know where I stand. So I have not been privy to their sort of discussions of how they see this happen. So that is something that um, we will have to see and hopefully we'll be able to, sort of um have good talks and communications from that but um you, you know if you look if you looked at the wider group i mean
0: yeah.
1: i think one of the big issues that we we do face and this is something that's come up again and again is is communication um that is something that we push management really hard and obviously it, i'm not saying it's necessarily easy there's 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 a lot of people involved but i think a lot of the players who have signed this is is a way of them feeling like their voice is going to be heard more. Um, and while I can, I definitely uh, respect and appreciate where that's coming from, I think it's important to also not, uh, sort of recognize that even though the ATP is 50% players in tournaments and sometimes players feel like when we're negotiating for, let's say, increases in prize money, some players feel like, there's conflicts of interest because within the board you have ATP management. So let's say the um, our chief financial officer is giving us a recommendation for prize money increases. He's he's looking at okay from the players, he's looking at from the tournaments, and he's giving a proposal suggestion based on both bodies because he ultimately does represent both sides. I think players see that as a conflict, and they feel like if we have a body that purely represents players we can really maximize the player's value right i think though what we need to take into consideration is that the tournaments could easily do the same thing and basically then you'll have let's you know a lot of players reference say let's use the nba with players and owners whatever the structure is you're still going to have to find a middle ground um you'll in that instance i'm sure and i mean if if um I'm speaking at Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody will let me know, but at least my understanding is, I'm sure you have players representing the players who'll be pushing players. Owners will be pushing, you know, owner's interest and they'll still have to find a middle ground. W- what we have is we have an inherent middle ground because of the way that our structure sits. So even though sometimes players maybe feel hard done by, I think it's important to recognize the protections our structure has for players, for instance, draw sizes, doubles. Um, these are things that tournaments just can't do themselves either. Uh, So I think sometimes players, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of players maybe sign this form under the false assumption that everything else will remain the same, except that what the players specifically want will come to fruition. Whereas the reality is if you break apart the structure, nobody knows how the cards are going to fall because the tournaments will have their own list of demands. And now we're going to be renegotiating from almost scratch and tournaments might say you know we don't one tournament might say we don't need 32 uh, 32 singles draws and qualifiers we only need 16 players and then players will say oh obviously we want singles and doubles and qualifying and it there's just a huge unknown there so that's where um i think it's important for players to see that Uh, but you know moving forward at the end you know right now where things sit is we still have our structure intact um, decision-making will still be taking place as normal. Uh, we are, you know, when I say we, I know I'm speaking on management's behalf because obviously I'm in touch, of, touch with them. They they can see that things need to get better. Whether, whatever the reasons play signed it, there's still a reason that they signed it. Um, we need to do better. I think communication's are, are a very important role in this. Um, but a lot of the, you know, the points that I have seen that the association want to make is already high priority within management's goals moving forward. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope that sort of answers the question a little bit. But I mean, you know, there's no doubt. There's there was a lot of players who uh, who have signed this. Um, so it's it's nothing. I mean, it is something to to uh, to take seriously. But as I said, I think most important, and you know, you've seen some of the messages that um, Nadal and Federer put out at the end of the. The day players working together, um, coming together is most important. And I think, again, very important to note, especially in this crisis, in this pandemic where so many, you know, we, we obviously from players, we think about ourselves and fellow players, not in jobs, but obviously that same goes for tournaments. I mean, a lot of tournaments were unable to um Sure. put on the events. There's, I mean, there's a lot at stake for, uh, for them as well. So especially in this time, I think it's really important to, to try to work together as much as possible.
0: L- let me, let me ask you some, uh, some, some yes, no, sort of short answer questions, uh, playing on that. Um, I mean, I'm curious, first of all, if, if you, as someone who's done this as long as you have and your tenure speaks for itself, do, do you feel betrayed by these guys?
1: I mean, you know, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's the tough one. I've seen, I've been in the council for a long time and I've seen the efforts that Novak and Vasek have put in. I mean, there's, 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 there's no questioning that, um, we've had some long board meetings, um, that stretch, you know, long time into the night. We on these zoom calls for hours at a time and, uh, they definitely want what's best for players. And um, I think we have a difference of opinion in how to get there. Um, but as 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 I've said to them, um, and, you know, I'll say again, I can, I will always respect and appreciate the effort that they've put in to try and make the tour a better place. Um, you know, I, I I do think the one thing I will say is after our meeting in January and a couple other calls throughout the year when we, you know, when we did talk about supporting new management and working very cohesively as a council, um, this move to, to, to decide to go ahead with this forming of association right now was unexpected. Um, so that wasn't, you know, just, that wasn't, I feel like maybe the best way to go about it, but, um, you know, they obviously thought that now was the right time. Right. Uh, again, that's, that's, that's not an, uh, as I've sort of hopefully explained, that's not something I share. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope that sort of gives yeah, some sort, uh, I, um, uh, I mean, sort of feelings.
0: There, there's a lot there. I mean, some of these people pushed out the previous CEO, and I think there's some questions about whether sufficient time was given to uh, to the successor. Um, what do you make of, I mean, when this announcement was made, I, I would say three out of every five texts I got, and this was, you know, this was mirrored on social media, was about the absence of women. Uh, we, we obviously, earlier this year, there was... Like, we'll call it flirtation with the idea of a merge tour. Where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on what's inherent in that, which is splitting prize money equally? Where, where is that as far as you're concerned? What's your stand on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think one of the um, objectives with new management was um, looking at working more closely with WTA, and that goes within Grand Slams, you know, if you look at our sport, there's so many sort of separate entities. Um, so sort of combining that, I think, is is um, very, uh, very important. Um, you know, I, I will say just, I, I, as as you mentioned, there was talk, floating idea of merging the tours. I mean, just from a, that was nothing more than talk. That's not conversations we've had, I think, especially with the whole COVID crisis. I mean, that's been, you know, how do we sort of protect and say and and save our tours um now going a little bit more detail yeah I, I mean i think at the end of the day especially from a player's standpoint uh having the strongest and most powerful body encompasses all the players and you know and that most certainly includes the uh uh the women who um play on the wta tour uh you know there's um Huge names on that, and I, I think it's you know it's I mean it's important for us to you know come together as players all together um, without sort of trying to you know separate. And I think um if you saw Andy Murray's comments, um, I think he uh, I think he uh, uh, summed that summed that up very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's if 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 you look at all sports, tennis is very unique, that especially at the slams, um, you know we have equal prize money and um, you know when when fans come and you know they uh, they buy tickets it's you know they're coming to watch both of us playing so I think that's been a very um, important message and and I think tennis really leads the way on that um, you know in terms of like combining tours as I should have sort of said a little bit earlier that's you know I think there's a lot of logistical and business i mean we are separate management um i know that was sort of sort of uh, briefly mentioned but uh that's not something that's been s- spoken a bit more you know specifically but it'll be interesting to see especially with new management and how we share uh media um how that how 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 that plays out
0: you you mentioned uh you, you mentioned basketball and it comes off i mean i, I It might be a bit apples and oranges, but I think the overall point is well taken that obviously the split of gross revenue that goes to salaries is much greater in in team sports. The money in tennis is at the majors. We all know that. What is the objection to trying to get a greater slice of that pie? And it seems as though we can talk about draw sizes and entourage sizes and player commitments. But really, this is about, at the end of the day, getting more money out of the majors. Where do you come down on that? And I, I guess my big question is sort of, what is the impediment? I mean, who, who is, who's not in favor at the tours of trying to get more money out of the majors?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from, from a player's perspective, that's been a, been a huge goal. And I think if you looked at, um, again, sort of to, if you look at the trends over the last few years, I mean, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact that um, prize money paid out at grand slams has increased tremendously. I mean, if you're looking at us open, I think first round prize money this year is around 60,000 us dollars. Um, I know when I first came on tour, my first round prize money in Australia was around maybe 16,000 us dollars. Um, so look, I think it would be a miss not to sort of mention that now, is that where we wanted when we looked at what sort of revenues the grand slams, uh, bring in? No, it's not um but from a player's perspective obviously uh we're always striving for more i mean i think the 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 value of the players bring um is immense to the sport obviously we're the ones who uh we don't run the show but i mean we put on the show so i mean that's obviously really important i mean yeah it's tough comparing it to you know to nba it's just such a different model um you know I'm i'm at the end of the day, my, my, my job right now is as a tennis player, not sort of, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, sitting and understanding, you know, the business dynamics. I mean, obviously I try my, I I try my best to, but you know, it's tough to sort of compare those sports that have um, uh, whose players are employed. Whereas we independent contractors, I know that when it comes to player rights, it's very different. Um, Obviously as tennis players, we, we own our own rights. When it comes to sponsorships, I know, you know, for for instance, the NBA and those other things, the the franchises I believe own a much higher or all of the players' rights on the actual court. Um, when you looked at the uh, you know the business models of the slams, um, you know I think for a, for a long time the percentage of players were getting was definitely too little. I mean, there's no question about that. And that's why we pushed so hard for grand slams to increase it. And that's why you saw these massive increases year on year because A, it took a lot of work, but B, it was coming from such a suppressed state for a number of years. So I think also taking into consideration that these, you know, especially slams have business models. I mean, I think it's tough to just to change them overnight. I think this is a longer term project and we've seen increases in prize money I mean, year in and year out, I mean, everyone is increasing it, I mean, much more than what your average sort of increase in, you know, if you looked across the board in all jobs in different sports and different sort of industries. Obviously, now COVID's going to affect that, unfortunately, but um, we'll have to readdress that. But sort of to answer your question, I mean, players definitely want more as it's understandable, Grand Slams. I mean, you know, I think they they definitely see the value that players bring. And, you know, I think they feel like over the last few years, if you speak to them, the, you know, they've really had to pick it up and distribute much more prize money to players, but there's still room for more. And I think that's where, when we've looked at um, what I mentioned earlier about our management, this is some of the things that they want to address. They want to work more with Grand slams I think for a long time, it's been a very us versus them mentality. And I think by bringing these parties in together, more closely in working together, we'll be able to in- increase the player percentages that we get from total revenue at the same time, allowing these tournaments to also undertake their expenses and fulfill their obligations they have to, you know, all of their um, constituents as well.
0: I got, I got a crazy question for you. I, I I think it's really commendable what what you do and what Novak does and, and, and Vasek, I mean, regardless of where you stand on this PTPA, I, I can't think of anything less conducive to being a professional athlete than going through, uh, you know, going through PowerPoint presentations about revenue splits and, and sitting on Zoom calls. Um, is, is there anything about this that you think has benefited your tennis?
1: Um, I mean, I think when it comes to specifically on court performance, uh, I don't see this as 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 a benefit. It would be, you know, trying to see the value in this. I've I've I think is really important, and I've I've taken a big interest to see, um, how some of the sports, um, well, how our sport sort of operates behind the scenes, away from the tennis courts. Um, I've often felt that being a player council member is one of the most um sort of underappreciated <laughs> jobs in our sport, <laughs> in a sense, because. Um, the amount of time we spend on some of these meetings, Zoom calls. I mean, we've had six, eight hour meetings and uh this these are all voluntary positions. They often we're having meetings a couple of days before Grand Slams. So I mean you know, I hope other players sort of appreciate the uh the effort that we put in and I know that if you had to poll every player, I don't think every player would um have always positive things to say about the council, which you know is tough at times to hear because I know we all have the players' best interests at heart, and there's there's always there's always there's a lot of nuances sometimes. There's sometimes a lot of very sensitive information. It's tough to always communicate with you know every single player. Um, but no, I mean I I can't say it's beneficial to performance on the tennis court. You just try and manage it, and um, you know try be mindful of you know, if you're playing in a few days time, uh, you know, sitting in a room for eight hours is not always the best thing. But I think for the most part it's I mean, it's been okay, but it's I mean it's definitely been um something that a lot of players have who have served on the council have had to um you know sacrifice that time and that's and I think it's in you know very important position.
0: Um un- unfortunately you've you've conformed to what I thought, which is it's it's socially responsible and very commendable. But I I was waiting for you to say, Oh, it, it's taught me to handle pressure and the virtue of patience and how to do body language. I mean,
1: uh, I mean, I think it's taught me maybe things off the court, but I'm not sure. It is, yeah. As you said, it's a bit of an interesting question, but I'd be sort okay. of hard-pressed to think how it's actually benefited yeah. performance on the court.
0: You're saying that those 48 hours may have been better spent on the practice court or in the gym. Um, <laughs> yeah, potentially. Let, let me ask you one thing that's come up about the new, the new executive team which is the role of uh, of betting sponsorships, which is something that tennis seems to have uh, resisted. Do you have strong thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. And one that, you know, I'll be the first to say, I, I don't feel like I'm completely up to speed on it. Obviously, I know the, um, the lens tennis have gone to in terms of our um, integrity unit and uh, making sure that our sport remains, you know, very... Um, Let's just use a word clean in terms of you know betting and stuff like that from players. I mean, we have very, very uh, severe uh, punishments. Let's say you know for any players with, I mean, with betting. So I think just from the outset, it's been a very um, tough subject to navigate around. But I think we've also seen, especially now, the revenue streams that come from betting, and I mean, are massive. And I know like the data deals that we're seeing. is is very significant, so I think it's very important for us to, you know, capitalize on that. And I think other sports are are sort of ahead on the curve compared to, you know, tennis. I mean, I know in the last few years it's it's sort of changed around a little bit, but it's um, it's something that I think we need to pay a little bit more attention to. Um, you know, there, uh, there's some things I feel like I know a little bit more, and that one's a topic that's been uh, not one that I'm as sort of caught up to speed on. Obviously, I follow it, and I see a lot of people talking about it. I I, I know that that's been on sort of management's plans, um, but that would be one that, you know, I think I can maybe find out a little bit more information before I can sort of give you a very a very detailed response.
0: I mean, just Just finally, if if this were you know if, if this were a case study in business school, if, if you were if you were looking at this like a management consultant. What does tennis look like a year from now? I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The ATP has new leadership. We have this splinter group. At the same time, sports are persisting, and we have media rights deals, and we have pooling. I mean, there are a lot of variables here. I mean, what when you project forward, what does tennis look like a year from now? What would you like it to look like a year from now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's you know such an interesting question, and I almost want to sort of caveat. Let's try and separate between sort of what's happening with new management and um, sort of the the politics within tennis and then obviously the whole pandemic, obviously we can't, one, they sort of now, they very closely related. I hope from a, um, you know, from the whole COVID standpoint that, I mean, this is outside of tennis, that that gets taken care of, whether it's through um, increased testing, vaccines, whatever it takes for us, f- firstly our sport to return back to normal where we can embrace fans. And um, I mean, that's obviously going to be vitally important um, both from players and tournaments. So that sort of is first and foremost. Um, when it comes to our actual sport, you know, if you'd asked me just a couple of weeks ago, you know, a week ago, I would have said that uh, we need to really stay together as, you know, as players, and stick together that's where we are strongest that's where our voices are heard the loudest and allow new management the the time and the opportunity to put their plan into action Um, there's a lot of very important uh, areas that they're focusing on Um, as I mentioned bringing the sport together but also looking at governance changes that I think will make a huge difference Um, we've talked about player communication that's absolutely vital and you know, I know I hear from a lot of players and that is something that's still not where it needs to be. So I would hopefully in a year's time, you know, have made progress on that. Um, just what I said earlier in terms of like the governance, the way our sport is run, uh, I think that's very vital. Um, and then, you know, play issues. I mean, that's what we've, that's what on the council we fight for. You know, I know throughout this sort of chat we've had, I've, I've spoken and tried to give it more of a more the global picture of, you know, I feel like I am understanding that, you know, tournament serve a very vital part to our tour as well. But I'm, you know, I'm a player. <laughs> I'm I'm four players and I just try my best to look at the overall picture and make the best decisions from that. Um, obviously, in the last few days, we've talked about a lot of it. There's been a pretty big wildcard thrown into the ring now with the formation of the new um, player association. Um that's where it's tough. I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I really hope that it doesn't, um, Im, you know, impede management's desire—not uh, desire—management's ability to, to really um, execute on their plan. I've heard, you know, from the um, the PTPA that they they they're not looking to make drastic measures. They want to work with the ATP. I don't know how that's going to actually function. From a day in and day out in terms of making decisions. I don't think anybody really knows. Um, maybe the people most involved with the forming of the association have a better idea. That's not something I know yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, you know, as always, I hope in a year's time we're in a you know a better place than we are today. And ultimately, for me, one of the biggest goals that I've had and I think the council has shared is how do we make our sport as attractive as possible for as many players as possible. We want the sport to, um, you know, if you're ranked 200, 250, you can earn a living. And I mean, it's such a remarkable achievement getting there. And uh, I feel like we've, it's it's going down that trend. I think more players are able to make a living. And I know it's not where we need it to be, but these things sometimes take uh, take time. So that's that's my hope. Um, if we have this conversation in um, um, this time next year.
0: Let's say next time this year, you'll still be in the draw and we'll, uh, we'll revisit this. All right. I, we, we have to get out. On uh,
1: yes. Day. Yeah. From, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, from a personal standpoint, hopefully, hopefully we a little bit later because yeah. um, as I mentioned earlier, having these conversations don't <laughs> necessarily help performance <laughs> on the tennis court.
0: Yeah, we can't have you in North Carolina on September 2nd. All right. Finally, exactly. uh, we, we, we've talked about governance and revenue splits and labor and men, but we, we have to get on a happy note. There are
1: nine Alrighty.
0: others in the women's draw. I, I want to know how, uh, fatherhood uh how's fatherhood life going and uh well, welcome to the club but i wonder uh how it's going if that is some silver lining to covid and uh if, if we can take some uh some solace from all this time off from the fact that you've got a tremendous amount of time with an infant this year i'm guessing
1: yeah i mean it's been great you know we um you know our daughter kira is uh she turns a year old in in a few weeks time um man it's i mean it's crazy i know I think there's some sayings where the days, the days are long, but the years go fast, and and um, I can definitely um, appreciate that. It's been a, uh, it's as you said, it's been a silver lining. The, the time that I've been able to spend at home with my wife Kelsey, and um, you know, the day to day of seeing, you know, of seeing our daughter going through these uh, these changes, it's uh, you know, it's quite fascinating. It's been a lot of learning of you know of, of being a dad. Just going to New York was uh, was the longest. I'd been away from her and it's, I think it's only going to get tougher because I mean, as all the dads out there would, would be able to tell me much better than I know it's, it seems like at this age they're picking up, you know, more and more and more things. So I feel like as much as I enjoy the time with her, obviously when they're very young, it's, it's a little bit uh, repetitive, not taking um, anything away from the excitement, but um, I think, you know, seeing her starting to walk and, you know, probably talk coming up, um, it's going to be tough being away and, you know, it's I've been very lucky that my wife's, you know, travelled with me, almost, you know, week in and week out, all the way since the beginning of twenty thirteen, and um, it's you know she's been an integral part of, um, you know, being there for me both uh, personally and professionally. So it's you know it's it's tough, obviously, having to make you know changes and not her not being able to travel and having our daughter as well. But um, I think it's 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 important to try and make make the most of the situation. And uh, it's, as you said, It's it's been, you know, it's it's, it's really been nice being that time at home. Um, if anything, I can say is it's been tough because just with injuries, I spent a lot of time at home and um, I'm looking forward to that when my career is over. But I think right now I would I would like to be healthy and, um, and maybe, uh, you know, if that takes me away from home, just everything I've gone through, that would be probably a good thing as well. <laughs>
0: We'll keep that between us. Um, I, I hope your daughter, I'm thinking, I hope your daughter, you know, emulates uh, you and Kelly. I hope she becomes a, a professional athlete and not a, a professional labor lawyer. Yep. But um, this, was, uh, <laughs> this, this was great. Yeah. I, I, this was, seriously, I think this was important for people to sort of get a lay of the land. And it's, um, you know, it's it's, it's not always the, the sexiest conversation topic, but it's it's critical to the sport. So I really, I appreciate Yeah, the, no, it
1: is. And, you know, not going, I know I've, I feel like I've, I've traveled a lot. There's, um, as you've seen, there's, um, it's, you know, there, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, but as you said, I think, you know, my philosophy is just having communication and having open and honest communication, productive communication is, you know, always um, valuable. I feel like that's how, you know, progress is made. Um, so hopefully we're we'll able to continue that and, um, you know, most importantly right now, I think as important as, you know, the tennis and politics and everything is, um, hopefully just as society and you know, everything, um, you know, obviously we've spoken a lot about tennis. We we could have another conversation about um, you know, the um the uh social justices and obviously there's been a big move on that. I mean, I think that's very important. There's there's been a lot happening off the court in twenty twenty and hopefully hopefully that is um you know we sort of can take a step back and really make some positive changes
0: um we'll save that for our next conversation this this was great though i i, I really i appreciate this i appreciate your yeah uh, thank you your, your your tempered and uh level-headed perspective this is this is really informative and uh good good luck out there in every sense
1: yeah anytime if um you know obviously there is a lot of tennis coming up but uh it's always nice chatting with you. And uh, stay safe, and we'll uh, and we'll catch up soon.
0: You got it. Take care. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Kevin Anderson. That was uh, that was a really informative talk. Um, you see, one of the the real sort of uh, tempered presences. Easy to see how uh, he is an effective leader, hearing both sides, and uh, knows where he stands on issues, but is certainly open to listening. Um, glad he was able to spend some time here. Thanks, as always, to Jamie, both for her uh, for her guesting and her producing. As always, if you want to subscribe, leave a review, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have another podcast in the middle of the second week. Enjoy the tennis, everyone, and uh, see you in seven days.